Well, once again, thank you for being here this morning. We are glad that we were able to gather today in the house of the Lord. That is a privilege that we should never, ever take for granted. This morning, we are going to be concluding our, our journey that we have been taking through the book of 1 John. This morning's sermon is the ninth and final sermon in this particular sermon series. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 this morning, beginning in verse 13. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and take your Bibles and find 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And while you're turning there, just a couple of reminders that we talk about each time during this particular sermon series. This particular book was written by John. Um, typically, I believe that he wrote this in the time period A.D. 70 to A.D. 95. And then the other thing that I always remind you of as we hear the sermons in the series is that there is indeed a common theme that we see over and over again as we read through the pages of 1 John. And it's really easy to see if we're paying attention. And here's the theme that we see repeat over and over. God is light and God is love. And believers show their love for God by loving each other. Let's hear that one more time since this is the final sermon in this series. God is light and God is love. And so believers show their love for God by actually loving each other. And we've got to realize that people are watching us. They're watching to see, do we love each other? And if so, hopefully they're seeing that we love each other well. So we must love God. So with that said, hopefully you have found 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And I would like to ask you, if you're physically able to stand this morning, if you would stand to honor the reading of God's Word. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word. Just the opportunity to open your word and read your holy word. Father, now I pray that for these next few minutes, Lord, I pray that you will simply hide me behind your cross. Lord, I pray that I will preach you and you crucified. Father, I pray that I will point these people to you and to you only. Father, I pray, especially if there is anyone who is hearing my voice right now, 
that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, may this be the day of salvation. And may Jesus Christ be forever glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is that you may know, and hopefully, as I read the text to you just now, as you followed along either in your Bibles or on the screen, you saw that phrase up here, that you may know. And as we begin to take this final step into the book of 1 John this morning, thinking about the title of this message being this, that you may know, I just want to just give you just a couple of examples that will hopefully just get you your minds thinking at this point. Let's suppose that you need to purchase something. And it's something that it's not something that you could either do with or do without it. It's something that you really need. Now there's a difference in knowing that you have enough money in your bank account to write the check to purchase it or to swipe your card to purchase it. There's a difference in that and hoping that there's enough money in your bank account to purchase it, isn't there? There's a big difference in that. For the ones of you who still have children in your care at home, I can tell you there's a big difference in knowing where they are versus hoping that you know where they are. And if you've ever been a parent to children, you know exactly what I mean. There is something special about knowing that they are in your sight under your care, rather than wondering where on earth that they might be. Well, as we begin to take a look at our text this morning, verses 13 through 15, we're going to see something that true followers, true believers of Jesus Christ are absolutely assured of, and that is this, eternal life. Now, as Can we just stop just a minute and acknowledge that that is great news? If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you are assured of your salvation. It is not the desire of Christ that you constantly wonder whether or not you're saved. Now, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning that many times when I just have a casual conversation with people who come into my path, people here in town, people out of town, and I ask them a question similar to this. Tell me where you're going to spend eternity. So many times I receive a response that sounds like this. Well, I hope, I hope that I spend it in heaven with Jesus. Well, I want you to know this morning, Jesus wants you to have the assurance of knowing He wants you to know where you'll spend your eternity. And while we're on that subject, let me just remind you one more time, it's in one of two places that every person will spend their eternity. It's either in heaven with Jesus or it's in hell forever separated from Jesus. I wonder this morning, which will it be for you? Now, as we look at verse 13, John makes it clear to us who he's writing to. This morning, look, look at verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to people who are believers. It's the believers that can have this assurance of salvation. And then he says that you may know that you have eternal life. Notice that John doesn't say here that he's writing so we could hope that we might have eternal life. So let me just ask a question while we're here on this subject. 
What is it that it takes for us to have this assurance? After, after you've repented of your sins, after you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then what is it that you have to have in order to have this assurance? Well, if you remember last Sunday's sermon, remember faith is the victory. We have to have faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And let me just put it as simple as this. If Jesus says that you're saved, you are. You are saved. He does not want you to be in continual misery wondering whether or not you're saved. If you have repented of your sins, if you have asked Him to be your Lord and Savior, if Jesus says you're saved, then take confidence in the fact that you are. So, many times we need to remember that not only does Jesus want us to have assurance of our salvation, He wants us to also have confidence as we pray. Confidence as we pray. So maybe after you've heard that statement, you might be thinking something like this. So exactly what type of confidence are you talking about? Confidence in what? Well, one of those things is confidence as we approach God in prayer. Now remember, back in chapter 3 of this particular book, John addressed prayer there, but he reminds us about prayer again here in the final verses of his particular book. Why would John do that? Why would he do it? Well, one, one reason that he does it is because it's important. Let me just ask you a question. Should we be nervous about approaching God in prayer? Absolutely not. Should prayer be something that we are afraid of? Or should it be something that we look forward to? Something that we do often? Well, I think surely if we're reading the Scriptures, we know that we are supposed to pray often. Remember, we have the Scripture that instructs us to pray without ceasing. So we know that we're supposed to pray often, but would you say that you have confidence when you pray? Let me just put it in a nutshell. If we have assurance about our salvation, then most likely you are going to have confidence as you pray. So, again, let me just ask you the question, would you say that you do indeed have this confidence when you pray? And I want to just give you an example. Let's just suppose right now that all of us had the ability to push a play button. And as soon as we push that play button, we're going to be able to listen to every prayer that we've prayed over the last month, word for word. As we listen to those prayers, first of all, how long would it take us to listen to the prayers that we have prayed over the last month? Would it take minutes? Would it take hours? Would it take days? to listen to the prayers that we have prayed. And then the second question that I want to ask is, would we hear confidence as we were listening to a recording of us praying? Remember, there is definitely a correlation between our assurance of salvation and the confidence in which we pray. And I want to be sure that we don't miss the last part of verse 14, that if we ask anything according to His will then he hears us. So how do we know? 
How do we know when we pray whether or not we're actually asking something that is in accordance with His will? That'd be a fair question to ask right now. How do we know if we are praying something that's in accordance with His will or not? Well, I want to give you two ways that we can know. First of all, sometimes we can open up our Bibles and look directly in the pages of Scripture to tell whether or not we are uh, praying in accordance with God's will. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean right now. First of all, I want to remind you, as I do often, God will never ask you to do anything at all that contradicts Scripture. Never will He do that. And if you think that He's asking you to do something that contradicts Scripture, then you are confused. And that's the easiest way that I can say that. He will never ask you or lead you to do anything that contradicts His Word. But I'm going to give you an example just to sort of hopefully let you see what I'm talking about here. Let's just suppose that we are dealing with a married man who is having an affair with someone obviously that is not his wife. And let's just suppose that when we talk to this man, he responds with something like this. I believe it's God's will. I believe it's God's will that I'm supposed to be with this other person. What does God's word say? What does God's word say? Let me tell you what I've experienced many times over the last 12 years of serving as a pastor in situations like that. At the moment that you begin to speak God's word to them, the moment that they see that you're standing on God's word and that's what you're going to do, many times they get mad at you. And it's usually not just them, it's their family. And their friends that get mad as well. The church, we either have to make the decision we are standing on God's word or we're not. We've got to, we've got to make that decision. You've got to make that decision. Now, if you make the decision that you're going to entertain sin and that you're going to treat it as being okay, then you need to be prepared to go down a road that you never intended to travel. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Church, I want to make it clear. I stand on the Word of God, and I pray that you will say the same thing. Will we be popular in today's society? Absolutely not. We won't be. But God's Word is still true. It always has been. It always will be. So now let me give you another example. Remember, I said there were a couple of ways that I wanted to give you as an example of how we can know whether or not we are praying something that's actually in accordance with the will of God. Remember, the first one is to look to God's Word and remember that He is not going to lead us to do anything that is contrary to His Word. Well, remember, okay, the other thing is remember that each day of our journey with Christ, after we are following Him as our Lord and Savior, we are to become more and more like who? Christ, absolutely. So as we become more and more like Christ, wouldn't it seem to make sense that 
we're going to see our desires change. We will find that the things that we're praying, they're things that are in accordance with God's will, not things that we would just like to see personally ourselves. Remember, it's a continual transformation from the moment of salvation until the day He calls us home, we're supposed to become more and more like Christ in our walk with Him. And I pray that we're doing that. Now, in the remainder of our verses this morning, verses 16 through the last verse in this particular chapter, 21, we're going to see that true believers, true followers of Christ, they also have freedom from habitual sin. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So perhaps as you hear those two verses, you might be wondering, so what type of sin would be one that is being referred to here as a sin that leads to death. What exactly is the text referring to here? I'm going to give you some possibilities of sins that lead to death. One is sin that a person just simply is not willing to repent of. They know it's sin, they know they're doing it, but they have absolutely no desire to ever change. They have absolutely no desire to ever repent of that sin. That is one example of a sin that could lead to death. Another example would be an intentional disregard of God's commandments. Knowing the commandments, but just making the decision, I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to follow them. I know what they are, but I'm not going to do it. That would be another example of a sin that could lead to death. Another example would be intentionally rejecting the true doctrine of Jesus Christ, intentionally blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you can see that every one of these examples that I've given you, what's involved. It's intentionality. We're making a conscious decision. We're going to do this even though we know it's wrong. We're going to do it anyway. That is examples of sin that can lead to death. And before we move on, I want to be sure we don't miss verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin. All wrongdoing is sin. And I want, to, I want to camp out right there for just a minute. So often in today's world, likely you come in contact with people that somehow try to minimize sin. I, I, I encounter that a lot. They'll tell me something. Well, Todd, don't you realize times have changed? We're not living in the 1920s anymore. Don't you realize times have changed? I I do realize times have changed. They've changed for the worst in most cases. But can I tell you something? If we ever try to minimize sin, do you know what we're doing? We're minimizing the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Those sins that we, our human desire, wants to count as little, those sins crucified Jesus. They crucified Jesus. Do not minimize sin. All wrongdoing is sin, just exactly like verse 17 says. And then we see in verse 18 that it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. 
keep on sinning. Again, we're talking about intentional sin here. Will true followers of God, will they occasionally commit sin? Yes, they will, unfortunately. They will because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that you've heard me say many times is infested with sin. So there will be occasions where true followers of Christ will mess up. And yes, God's grace, God's mercy is available and praise God for that. But we should not approach God's grace, His love and mercy as some type of license to sin because it is definitely not. But here's something that I want you to know. If you are a true believer this morning, I want you to know that you are secure in the grace of God. And I want you to hear me when I say this this morning. Satan is not strong enough to take your salvation away from you. He is not strong enough to take your salvation away from you if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is great, great news this morning. But with that said, let's not be naive about the power of Satan. He's always at work. Always at work. And if you are thinking something right now like, it's been a while since I've noticed Satan. That might be a problem in itself. He typically don't mess with people that he doesn't perceive to be a threat. But if you are truly following Christ and, he's, and Satan's not attacking you right now, put on your seatbelt. It's coming. It's coming. But keep your eyes on Jesus. He is sufficient. He is absolutely sufficient. And as we close out our text for today, We see in verse 20, it says, And we know, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. That's referring to Jesus Christ. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And again, that is wonderful news. Truth can only be known in one way real way, through Jesus Christ. I wonder, do you know him today? As we close the sermon series, we're going to look at verse 21, just exactly how John closed this book. And when you initially read this, it almost appears that the verse is out of place. You know, we're, we're talking about the truth that's known in and through Jesus Christ, and then the very last thing that John says is, little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We can't can't disregard that. We can't ignore it. And so as we prepare to look toward our invitation this morning, I want to just ask you a question. What type of idols might be in any of our lives this morning? Little children, keep yourself from idols. What are some idols that could possibly be in our lives today? Let me give you some examples of things that could become idols. Now, hear me when I say this. 
not one of the things that I'm going to list are in and themselves bad. But they are if we choose to make them an idol in our life. So keep that in mind as you hear me read this list. Perhaps your idol is your home. could easily be could easily be an idol perhaps it is our car perhaps it's some piece of farm equipment that you've worked for years to get perhaps it's your job maybe it's certain social status the list could go on and on but I want you to hear me As John closes this book, he reminds us, first of all, he addresses us as little children, I believe, to get our attention. And then he says, keep yourselves from idols. May we do just that. An idol is something that takes our focus off of Christ. And you know, in the world that we live in today, it could be a number of things. I've just listed a few things. But remember, an idol is anything and everything that is in our life that causes the focus to be on that thing instead of Christ. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Perhaps this morning during our invitation, you just need to come forward and kneel at the foot of the cross and give those idols to Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know this morning that He is here and He is ready to forgive. We get disconnected here from our screen. And we'll issue the invitation. If If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know there is no bigger problem than you could possibly have in your life than dying apart from Jesus Christ. That is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And you don't have to leave today apart from Jesus Christ. If you're here and don't know Him, I beg you to come today. Perhaps you're carrying a burden and you just need to kneel at the foot of the cross and give it to Jesus. He's sufficient. He is absolutely Sufficient. Judy, I know one of your favorite songs is Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. You know, they are. They are lifted at Calvary, but part of that requires us to be willing to give him the burden and ask him to lift it. Will we do that this morning? Perhaps you have another need that you just need to come and pray about. The altar is open, and I pray that we will use it. Would you pray with me this morning as our, as our musicians come? Father, thank you for allowing us to have assurance of salvation that we may know. I am so thankful that I don't have to hope and wonder where I will spend eternity. And Father, just as soon as I say that, I know there are millions of people right now throughout our world that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that before it would be eternally too late that they would hear the good news of the gospel and repent and confess their sins and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that if there is one here this morning that is hearing my voice that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today will be their day of salvation. Father, I pray that we will all search our hearts 
in our lives during this time of invitation. And if there is an idol present in our any of our lives, Lord, I pray that we will freely repent of that and just give it to you. Lord, help us to realize each and every day that you're sufficient. Help us to realize that it's you that is all that we need. We don't need the other stuff. We need you. It's Jesus, only Jesus. May that be the desire of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would move freely during this time of invitation, and I pray that Jesus will be glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.